All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 1. Last week, we started looking at what I call the shun words, words that are associated with salvation that end in the T-I-O-N. And all of these words help us grasp a, a, a truth concerning our salvation. You know, I think one of, the, one of the tragedies of our time is that within, I'll just call it Christendom, that just lumps everything together, uh, usually salvation is talked about in really vague terms, and most of the time not even in biblical terms. Like, for instance, invite Christ into your life. Now, I, I know what's meant by that, and, and I believe somebody, if they understand enough, they have enough background, could hear that and, and, and come to Christ. But that's not really a, a, a biblical concept. It, it really isn't. When you think of it, um, Christ is in the devil's life. Okay? I mean, you know, in the sense of, you know, being within the sphere, you know, until he's put into the lake of fire. So... I think it's a shame that so many of these, this Bible terminology has been lost in the average Christian. Even the word salvation we looked at last week, it, it's, a, it's a word we use all the time, and, and yet I, I hope by the grace of God we understood last week by just taking a, a sample, just how much is, is to that word and how many times the New Testament uses it especially and how many aspects of our salvation it opens up and, and the understanding uh, that we get as a result of looking at that word salvation. I want to look at another one, <coughs> excuse me, this morning. And I want us to uh, look at Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 1 and verse uh, 17. Verse 17. Now this verse is not only a, a great verse from the standpoint of what it teaches us biblically, but... I would call it a, a historically famous verse. If you know anything about church history, you understand that this verse, <coughs> excuse me, is the verse that literally launched the Protestant Reformation. And <coughs> the descendants of that movement in the 1500s actually became the people that came across the Atlantic Ocean on the Mayflower, as we understand the story and all that goes with it, they are spiritual descendants of that movement. And, and folks, you could make the argument, the reason that we have this country as we know it today. And so Romans chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. What we're looking at here in this verse is what's called in theology justification by faith. Justification by faith. Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. He was literally starving himself, fasting, doing all sorts of forms of penance, and uh, uh, self-punishment, as a matter of fact, uh, living in a monastery, seeking peace with God. He had been doing this for several years. Uh, he got his dad very mad at him because his dad wanted him to go into law. 
but he got caught in a, in a terrible thunder and lightning storm riding a horse one night. And while underneath a tree and lightning flashing all around him, he promised God he would become a monk. And he, he fulfilled that vow. And he, he made friends with one of the superiors there in the monastery. And to this day, I, I honestly can't tell you whether I really think this man was saved. I think he might have been. But this fellow's name, his last name was Staupitz. And Staupitz saw the, the anguish of Luther's soul. He just couldn't get peace. He had that, he had that burden that uh, Pilgrim's Progress talks about that Pilgrim had on his back. And until he got rid of that burden, he could find no peace. And of course, that was the burden of his sin. And <clears throat> Luther had tried all kinds of things. In fact, he made a pilgrimage to Rome, which discouraged him even further when he saw the debauchery of that religious city and um, all the relics and stuff that were being sold and, 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 and in the sort of carnival atmosphere around the Vatican. And Staupitz encouraged him to start reading the Bible with particular attention to the book of Romans. And Luther was reading one day, and, and he came across verse 17, and it was his text of enlightenment. And you can read uh, different, uh, different versions of what he said about that moment, but it was, it was at the, a particular moment when he, he was reading this, and, and it dawned on him that justification would be by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not his works and efforts. As a result of that, uh, he believes that's when he came to Christ as Savior, and he nailed his 95 thesis on the castle church in Wittenberg. It was a Roman Catholic church, and his 95 thesis against indulgences uh, on October 31st in 1517. And that was the act that's often thought in history that launched the Protestant Reformation. This was the text that enlightened Luther, but it was that act of nailing those 95 theses on that wooden door at the Castle Church in Wittenberg. And he came out against indulgences because indulgences were a form of, of human penance and, and simony and buying salvation uh, literally through money as well as works. And, and so we look at this verse here this morning. Let's look at chapter 5. It's a couple pages over. Chapter 5, and notice, notice verse 1. <clears throat> Paul says, therefore, being justified. There's that word. Being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's judicial peace. As a matter of fact, justification by faith is a judicial act of God whereby in his courtroom, when we receive Christ as our Savior, he declares us just. He declares us just. And I'll get a little ahead of myself using a word we're going to talk about but he declares us just because of imputed righteousness, righteousness that's given to our credit, even though we didn't earn it. And, and so keep in mind, you can be justified by faith, 
But that's not something that necessarily produces a feeling. Now, you can feel good about it, but unlike regeneration, which takes place inside of us, and our spirit is born again and made alive again in us, justification by faith is something that takes place in God's courtroom. And it's something we believe. We believe because it's in God's word, not because we feel it. And to know that God has declared me just in the person of Jesus Christ, I think of what the psalmist says in Psalm 85 where he said, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Mercy and truth have met together. Mercy and truth have met together. Folks, the truth is, before we're saved, we're sinners on the way to hell. The Bible says the law was given by Moses. The law does not save us. The law magnifies our sin. The law condemns us. But mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. All because of justification by faith. A judicial act whereby God in his courtroom declares us just in the person of Jesus Christ. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And for that, let's go to the next one. Let's go to Romans chapter 4, and you're right there. And we're going to look at the word imputation. Imputation, which I already used in discussing justification by faith. So in justification by faith, we are declared just in God's courtroom. Imputation is when God charges something to someone that is not theirs intrinsically. And once again, this is a judicial act. It is a judicial act. Romans chapter 4 and verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Now, imputed righteousness has a, a negative and a positive. And I want us to see that. He says here in verse 6, he says, Blessed is the man... Blessed is the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. That's the positive. That's the positive. And by the way, if you come to God making bargains with him, and you come to God saying, okay, I know your word says I'm a sinner, but I really can't be that bad, so I've joined the church, I've been baptized, and I do these good works, and yeah, I sin, but I'm not as bad as, as, as many so how about we make a deal on that basis? And you know what? You're going to be met with a deafening silence from God. Because when he imputes righteousness, it's because we come void in our own hearts and minds of any merit to get to heaven. The Bible says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. You have to come to God in repentance. And when you come in repentance, 
you're not going to kid yourself about your own righteousness getting you by or earning favor with God. In fact, the Bible says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Not a very flattering statement, but that's what God's word says. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We're coming to a thrice holy God, and we have to admit our need and the need for justification and imputed righteousness. We need someone else's righteousness. Ours will not do. So he says in verse 6, blessed, blessed is a man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Look at verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. The positive, imputed righteousness, Christ's righteousness, the negative, he won't impute the sin. The sin is removed. Now, how does this work? This works because of an exchange. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, some of you that have been saved a long time, you know all this. We've talked about this before. And so I challenge you this morning, when's the last time you talked to somebody else about it? Yeah, I said to you the other day in talking about my own personal testimony, I think it's a shame sometimes that when we're first saved and we're all excited because it's all new to us and we really don't know much. That, that we're willing to witness. But after we've been saved a while and, and we've learned a lot of other things that we didn't know before and, and, and we, we have a working knowledge of the Bible, all of a sudden we, we get quiet. We get quiet. Folks, these truths aren't for us to hoard in our bosom. These truths are for us to proclaim. And so let me challenge you this morning. When's the last time you explained something like that? And believe me, lost people will listen to this. I've told you before, the one bumper sticker that I've put on all of our vehicles, my pickup, my car, my wife's, my wife's pilot, we all have the same, vehicle, the same bumper stick. It shows Christ on the cross, and it says, if you can earn it, why did he die? I get more questions on that one. Just the other day at the coffee shop, I was coming out, I got my coffee, I was coming out, and, and, and a middle-aged man and woman were standing, staring at my tailgate, looking at that. And when I walked up to them, they said, would you explain that to us? Well, you can't do anything with that. <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> and, and I got to explain to them the imputed righteousness and justification by faith and regeneration and all kind of shun word. And, and they just, they listened and we talked and they were interested and they said, We've never, we've never understood that. We've never heard that before. We talked about the concept of do and done. All, all religions, even within Christendom, uh, preach a gospel of do. But the gospel of the New Testament is it's done. Christ did it for us. And folks, people will listen if we're, we're willing to open our mouths. But uh, So, imputed righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and look at verse or excuse me, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look at, uh, look at verse 20. The Bible says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, 
Be reconciled to God. And boy, that's something to think about, verse 20. We're, we're representing Christ when we witness. You know, a lot of people think that the Pope is a representative of Christ by the stolen title of Vicar of Christ. And yet, in, in a very real sense, when we tell others about Christ, we are in Christ's stead beseeching them to be reconciled to God. And then notice what he says in verse 21. For he, God, the Father, <coughs> hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. Now what does that mean? Well, what we just looked at in Romans chapter 4, our sin is imputed to him. He didn't commit those sins, but he, he takes those. He takes the credit for them, he takes, or, or the blame, uh, more accurately. He said, who knew no sin. He was a sinless one. Now watch this, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he gets our sin, and we get his righteousness. It's called the exchanged life. The exchanged life. And how is that possible? Well, it's by justification by faith, but the mechanism is imputation. God imputes it. He imputes our sins to Christ. He imputes Christ's righteousness to us. And folks, I don't care how long you've been saved, that's an exciting truth. And folks, that's another example of mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Or as, as John said in John chapter 1, he said, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Imputed righteousness. Again, another judicial act. Another judicial act. The negative being Christ takes our sins, and the positive is we take on his righteousness. Take your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 23. And let me give you an Old Testament example of this. And Numbers chapter 23. And Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. Now, the background to this story is that the king of, the king of Moab, Balak, has heard of Israel as they travel through the wilderness and how God has done miraculous things in their behalf, and he's afraid of them. So he rounds up this Gentile prophet who by all indications is a legitimate prophet, somebody that God talked to and worked through, who ultimately corrupted himself in this circumstance. And while Balak... Couldn't get, couldn't get Balaam to curse Israel for him because Balaam was being true to what God was telling him and that he should bless Israel. Uh, you read, you read the rest of the story and you look at some New Testament references to it. He, he does find a way around things and recommends to Balak that he gets Israel to start involved in, in idolatry with their gods and intermarry with their people and, and, and that God would curse them. And, and he, ended up getting the, he ended up getting the check he was looking for. And he ended up being a, a, a corrupt prophet. But at this point, he's being faithful to the message at this stage of the story. And if you look at Numbers 23, and, and, and we'll pick things up in Numbers chapter 23, and we'll pick it up in verse... Uh, 19, in verse 19, or, or back up to verse 18. And he took up his parable and said, 
Rise up, Balak, and hear. Hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Uh, Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Now watch verse 21. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. Now, you see that statement, and, and you wonder, who was God talking about? Because, you know, we could multiply examples and stories if we wanted to take the time this morning up to this point where multitudes of people had to die for, for, for the, 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 uh, uh, the uh, collective sin of these people and, and their idolatry and their murmuring and their complaining and, and on and on and on it goes. But what's going on here? This is imputed righteousness. God is looking at them through a certain lens. And I hope this morning that this truth could just become a little more real to us, but that God this morning, if you're saved, looks at you through the lens of his son, Jesus Christ. And and I often think of how John described himself in his gospel. He always referred to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. That disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, if you'll look at yourself through that lens. You see, the problem is, folks, we know about our own sin. Even after we're saved. In fact, I think sometimes it's harder after we're saved. Because, you know, I can think of all the stuff I did before I was saved. And I was just lost. I didn't have a clue. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's a little easier for me to deal with. But ever since I've been saved, what's my excuse now? And you know what you need to continue to do? You need to continue to look at yourself through the lens that God looks at you through. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made. Now think of this phrase, the righteousness of God in him. Not in yourself. Not not because of any intrinsic merit or anything you've done. But because of him. Your sin is on him. His righteousness is on you. And that's how God looks at you this morning. And that's because of imputed righteousness. Let's look at one more and we'll close. I want to look at this word adoption. Take your Bibles and go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And uh, the third shun word that we'll look at here this morning is adoption. Adoption. Uh, Before we were saved, contrary to what a lot of the liberals would have you believe, we we were not part of the family of God. And and liberals will try to say, well, you know, we're we're all the children of God, we're just one big family, and God is our Father, and and everybody's going into heaven, and, and, and God is just one big Santa Claus, God is just one big kiss. He doesn't care about sin. He just loves everybody so much, he's just gonna let everybody in no matter what. And everybody's going to heaven. Everybody's going to heaven. But that simply is not true. In fact, Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. 
Christ said just the opposite. It's going to be a minority, a staggering minority, I'm afraid, uh, that go to heaven. And so let's talk about adoption because this is one of the things that takes place when we get saved is we get adopted into the family of God. Verse 3, Galatians chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And Abba is Aramaic. It answers uh, to our daddy or papa. It's a term of endearment. And, and, the, and, and so what's the amazing thing here is that we're, we're dealing with God on a familiar basis. Folks, that's familiar. That's familiar. Uh, you know, whatever your kids called you when you were raising children or as a grandparent, uh, a papa or a daddy or, or dad or that type of thing, uh, we, we can cry out to God because we are adopted into the family and, and he is our father. And then notice verse 7, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now I want you to notice, and we're going to close on this idea here, this business of an, of an heir of God uh, through Christ. Um, I'm told, and uh, Brother Aldridge told me this one time, and, and, and I read it somewhere else, and, and I don't understand the details, but that uh, a inheritance, when it comes to adopted children, their rights are, are just as good as the natural-born kids, and in some cases, stronger. Their inheritance rights are, in some cases, stronger. Uh, a little boy was in school, and he was an adopted boy, and his children can be, uh, they were being cruel with him, and they were making fun of him because he was adopted. And the little boy came home, and, and he, was, he was pretty downcast, and his mom asked him what was wrong, and, and uh, he explained, you know, what was going on at school, so she had a talk with him. And he went back to school the next day, and they started in on him again, and he piped right up. He said, you know what? He said, he said, my parents picked me. He said, your parents had to take what they could get. <laughs> and uh, my father picked me. My father picked me. And, and, I, and I'm amazed at this. I'm, I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Look, any one of us here today would be uh, excited if we got a call or a notification in the mail or something like that from a lawyer or some somebody with with with, with official uh, credentials that could tell us that someone in our family died or somebody we know died and 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 we are going to be part of a very hefty inheritance. Uh, don't sit here and get all spiritual on me this morning and pretend like you wouldn't be excited about that. Okay, I think anybody would be. But when I read something like this, if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. When I read a phrase like joint heirs with Christ. Folks, he's the creator of the universe. He's going to remodel it one of these days. Peter tells us that. A new heavens and a new earth. 
and we're heirs with him of all that? I, I can't even comprehend it, folks. I can't even comprehend it. And you know why it's so? It's because we're adopted, because of adoption. Uh, folks, we were in the wrong family. Jesus said to one group one time there in the Gospels, he said, you're of your father, the devil. And that doesn't sound like, you know, the brotherhood of all men <laughs> and the fatherhood of God. He said, you're of your father, the devil. You know what, folks? Before we were saved, we were of our father, the devil. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were at enmity with God. We were enemies with God, and we walked according to the prince uh, the spirit of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of darkness. The spirit of darkness. Um, Ozzy Osbourne likes to call himself the prince of darkness. I think I'd shy away from that title if I were him, <laughs> if I were anybody. But you know what? We weren't any better off than him in that regard. We were part of the wrong family. And when you got saved... You know Christ is your Savior. God took you out of that and adopted you into his family. And God is, in fact, now your Father. And you can pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And God did pick you. And your inheritance rights are secure in Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Can I challenge you this morning? Go out and tell somebody, amen? This just isn't for our intellectual pursuit. It, it's not just only for our edification, even though it is edifying to know these things. But it's so that we might tell others and proclaim the good news. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just pray for your people here to, uh, to start with this morning and, and, and help us, Lord, to look at things the way you look at them, including ourselves. Uh, Lord, to, to know that, that I have the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, that's such an incredible truth. To know that I'm adopted into your family and have all the rights and, and privileges and inheritance of a natural child and then some. Uh, these things are, are, are beyond me, Lord. But I believe them because your word tells me. And, and, and Father... We pray that you'd help us now to walk in these truths and to realize the exchange of life that's ours, our sin on Christ and his righteousness on us. Father, we pray for those that might be looking in this morning, that might be here in the auditorium, that don't know Christ. Father, may this be the day of days for them, Father. Just help that one if, if, if they need <clears throat> if they need to have a word of prayer with somebody or get some questions answered, help them to come forward and get some help. Or even right where they're at right now, may, may they just surrender to you, Lord, and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I, I know I've broken your law. And I repent of all that. And, and, and in so doing, I'm receiving Christ as my personal Savior. I'm trusting him to get me to heaven, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Father, anybody looking in, anybody here this morning, Lord, that we might surrender and they might come to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for being so good to us. And Lord, you, you didn't just save us. You, you, you did that, but you did so much more. And as we learn about these things, Father, energize us and, and encourage us in these great truths and to take these truths to a lost and dying and really crazy 
coming apart at the seams world, Lord. And people are asking questions, Lord. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 310. Number 310, the old rugged cross. Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be here today. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us and your mercies. We thank you for that old rugged cross 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for going to that cross on our behalf and for your precious blood that was shed. Lord, we thank you for the things that we've heard this morning. Thank you for these wonderful truths from your word that, Lord, that we've experienced justification, Lord, because of our faith in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that we now have the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us, and we thank you, Lord, that we've been adopted into the family of God. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives, that we have eternal life, that we're going to live forever with you. We thank you, Lord, that you live inside of our hearts, our hearts and you indwell us. Lord, help us to be mindful of these things. Lord, we pray that uh, as we heard today, as, as preacher exhorted us, Lord, that we would take these truths and tell others about Christ, tell somebody that doesn't know him about what you've done in our lives. Help us to be faithful witnesses. We thank you once again, Lord. It's just been wonderful to be here and to get acquainted again with some good old friends. And we just thank you, Lord, for what we have in Christ. We do pray for anybody here that doesn't know you, that you'd work in their hearts and bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Lord. Send us away with your blessings. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And we pray all this in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen.